today is my final sermon to you. You know, when I started here eight years ago, I never imagined no one would be here for my final sermon. I thought I would be well-liked, I would build positive relationships with the community, and have at least some level of success. But here we are in an empty sanctuary. I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. The pandemic has kept people away, and though it may seem strange to say goodbye without seeing each other, this will be my last message to the church. I want to share some stories of people and experiences I've had while here in Hillsdale. Some, I hope, will encourage you, reminding you of who the church is and who you have been for this community. Other parts will challenge you as you think through the untapped potential of this church and what you and me and all of us can do better so that our lives might better reflect Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God here on earth. But first, a joke that I have waited a very long time to tell. A pastor stood up on his last day at church and told his congregation, I have finally done it. I have finally made everyone in this church happy. I made some of you very happy when I first came to this church. Others I made happy when we made important decisions about the church. And the rest of you I have made happy now that I'm finally leaving. That's a little of what I feel today. I'm grateful for my ministry that has brought joy to everyone in one way or another, even if it means I have to leave for some of you to feel it. Let's hear our scripture for today that comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Hear now God's word. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to, to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. And from Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19, this is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of the life God gives us. This is the gift of God. The word of the Lord for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Will you join me in our prayer of preparation? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So we just heard this passage from uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we hear how even Jesus, in all of his ministry, he ends up not being welcomed into his hometown. I am grateful that my ministry has been welcomed here in Hillsdale, but I am always reminded that by this passage that the mark of success is not whether people welcome you, whether they welcome your message. It's very different from that. I've heard the advice many times that you shouldn't name people in your final sermon. The thinking goes that if you say someone's name, it means you're not saying someone else's name. Why slight someone on your very last day? Well, I want this church to know that I love all of you very much. I may name a few folks because they are part of a story, but it doesn't mean that I love others any less. We are known as Christ's disciples when we love each other. So whether I say your name or not today, know that you are dear to me. My eight years here have been so significant in my life. I arrived as a young man in good health with almost nothing. Emily and I were so poor, her pregnancy meant we wouldn't have enough money to pay our bills. But we scrimped and saved so that today we are in a vastly different position. We moved into Hillsdale with one tiny U-Haul truck, and we just found out the other day that the moving company is going to need two giant trucks to get all of our stuff out. We have been blessed in our time here, not just with stuff, but with wisdom, with experiences that help us to live better lives. We now have two boys and have cared for our first of what we hope to be many foster children. I gained 20 pounds since moving here. I broke my first button while wearing my pants. Uh, Hillsdale has changed us in many ways. Maybe one of the most important lessons I've learned is to give thanks to God in both the good and the bad. Life is not about everything going your way or having control of what happens. Life in its fullness means finding joy, whatever may come your way. I heard this recently. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? You can own a swimming pool and resent every minute of it because you have to open it, clean it, balance the chemicals, fix the pumps, close it at the end of the year. It can be so much work for so little reward. That's your stuff owning you. And you aren't finding joy in the good and the bad when you feel that way. That's just the slightest taste of what the Apostle Paul describes as contentment. In Philippians 4, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We might add here today, whether in a pandemic or with a vaccine. And what, pray tell, is Paul's secret? How is he content in any situation? He is self-sufficient by virtue of Jesus Christ, who works in him and through him. I keep learning this lesson by being a part of the church. Sure, I can get a job and make money. I can even save up a pretty good amount and have all my basic needs and more covered. I can do all that 
without the church. But what I can't do without the church and with Christ at work in me is to keep building relationships with people who I strongly disagree with. Without Christ, I can't forgive people who have hurt me. I can't let go of my pain or handle conflict well. But in these last eight years, a huge change has taken place in me. One of the more dramatic changes in my life happened completely against my will. The staffing committee of the church who oversaw my position told me a few years back that they thought I could do a better job handling conflict in the church. Internally, I scoffed. I was literally being sent into other churches to deal with their conflict. Our church hardly even had conflict. But if I'm anything, I am dutiful. Uh, If a supervisor tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. So I found a week-long training seminar in Connecticut and spent the week there learning about conflict transformation. And what I learned there changed my life. I came back with this simple chart that has guided my behavior in conflict since then. It has what I call your conflict-style animal. Across the bottom, it says values relationships. The more you value relationships, the farther along you are. On the side, it says goal-driven. The more you are driven by goals, the higher up you are. So guess what my conflict-style animal was? The turtle. And the turtle is the absolute worst. It means instead of doing things to build your relationship with someone during conflict or breaking relationships with others so you can at least get things done and accomplish those goals, the turtle does nothing. My conflict style was to never deal with conflict. Amy and the staffing committee were totally right about me, and I will be forever grateful for this gift you have given me. I know now to aim for the wise owl that values relationships and works hard to accomplish goals. Those don't have to be exclusive of one another. I also think of my trip to Taze, France. When I was in grad school, I heard I had heard of Taze, and some of my classmates led a worship service in the style of Taze. I remember weeping almost the entire time. Now, if you don't mean that that well, you might think, "Oh, that is so touching." Uh, but if you've been around, you know I cry when I watch even the notebook, so it's not such a big deal. Uh, But I was moved, and ever since, I have wanted to experience the community of Tizé. When I finally went, I was able to go with Lauren from our church and a group from Chatham UMC. I'll never forget the delight I had there of eating chocolate every day for breakfast. Tizé was great, but it was actually my time in Geneva, Switzerland, that had the biggest impact on me. I loved visiting CERN, where the Large Hadron Collider is. It's the world's largest machine, and it's used for nuclear research. We reflected on God and science, how these things are not at odds with each other, but instead are linked together. Science can teach us about God, and God spurs our love for science. While there, I also had a chance to learn about the legacy of the Protestant theologian John Kelvin. It was not a pretty picture, and his life is a sobering reminder of the problems that come when we mix 
power and religion. That has moved me to reflect on what I see as real power, transformation that comes through sacrifice, through giving up one's life. We tend to want to control the world around us. When we gather in a meeting, some people want to dominate and force their own will on others. That's not what I see in the life of Christ. Instead of forcing his will, he prays, not my will, but yours be done. He could have ran, uh, but he willingly gave up his life on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. I want to be more like that. I want to influence others, not because I can force a decision on someone, but because I can forgive them even as they wrong me. Sure, people will hurt us. We shouldn't ignore that or minimize it, but we can certainly work toward processing our pain. That was another big revelation for me in the last few years. We usually talk about transformation as if it's always a good thing, but that's not true. Our country has gone through a profound transformation because of the pandemic, but that is not necessarily good. Instead, the aim is for sublimation. It's purification or refinement. We go from broken and grieving the things others have done to hurt us, to grateful to how every good thing and even every bad thing contributes to a life of faith, a life of deeper trust. I think of it this way. You know those moments where you just watched an amazing movie or you heard a song and you feel like it's just changed your world? For others, it's true romance or the birth of a child. That feeling right there has us interacting with others in a really positive way. We are on cloud nine. We are less concerned with ourselves than with the sheer beauty of the world around us. That is a pure state. Imagine if you could operate out of that mentality all the time. Imagine every time you talk with someone, you aren't fighting for your own way, but simply acknowledging the good in others, the spirit already at work in their lives. That's sublimation. That's what happens when we work through our pain and forgive others. I heard a pastor who is retiring this week give some advice. He said, for a sermon to be immortal, it does not have to last for eternity. So let me say just a few more things and then we'll have communion together. There are many things that I will miss as I leave Hillsdale. I think of our youth ministry that was able to grow so much after we hired Christine. I think of staff people that have come and gone from Denise and Kathy to Ray and Jackie. The decline in dramatic rebound of our nursery school. Singing Handel's Messiah with you. Hearing Christina sing O Holy Night on Christmas Eve. I think of the people I have visited with, especially the homebound, who are too easily forgotten. Don't forget about Dirk and Dorothy and Claudia and Joan. Don't forget about the saints who have gone before us like Anne Lam and Helen Moore this past year. I think of all the funerals I've done, and I want to name every single person because I know they have meant so much to you. 
Remember the saints. Let their lives inspire you. I think of the weddings and baptisms, how young people have joined their lives together and babies have been born. I even got to baptize a baby with the best name in the world, little baby Brian. My only regret is that I did not love you more. I wish I could have spent more time with you. I wish I could have helped you see more of just how madly in love with you God is. But my time has come to an end, so I pass the torch to you. Love one another. Help this world to see how loved they are by a good and holy God. My greatest joy is that in this church I have been known and loved by you. I was, I was talking with Julie a few months ago before the pandemic, and she told me how in my first couple of months here, she met my father when he came to visit on a Sunday morning. After the service, Julie told him how much she really enjoyed having me as the pastor here. And my dad's response was hilarious. He said, really? <laughs> and when Julie told me, I laughed with joy. That's something you might not tell your pastor early on. Uh, but when they know you and there is trust there, you know that their response will be in love and with joy. Just last week, I got a call from Doug. He told me how some folks had asked how I felt about moving, especially in the middle of a pandemic. And Doug told me what he said to them. He hoped I wouldn't take it the wrong way, but he had said to them, I think in the corporate world, we might call Brian a company guy. Even if he didn't like it, I'm not sure he would say a word against it. And he's exactly right. I support the institution. I support our bishop and cabinet just as I will always support you and tell the world of your love for one another. It has been an honor to be known and to be loved by you. Amen.